0: Talking more, yeah. Talking
1: more. you guys are talking. We are talking Oh, really? A lot. a lot of talkers. I would agree with that. This <laughs> podcast is
2: called Erase
1: the Filter. Erase the Filter. Erase the Filter. In the mid-1990s, guitarist and producer James Plotkin was exploring and experimenting. Since the mid-1980s, he had built a solid body of work as the founder of the grindcore metal band Old, which was becoming more and more experimental and avant-garde. Around 1994, he went on a writing frenzy after purchasing a bunch of new gear that led to a trilogy of albums in a very definitive time for his work. From those sessions, he released Formula in 1995, the final album with Old, and Protoplasmic in 1997 under the artist named Flux. The latter leaning more toward UK post-punk than the avant-garde metal of old. Nestled between those two releases was a 1996 solo album called The Joy of Disease, which according to Plotkin was a collection of tracks that just didn't seem to fit with the other two releases. Over the years, The Joy of Disease has become a fan favorite of his extensive catalog. Earlier this year, he released The Joy of Disease Demos and Remixes, which consists of early home-recorded instrumental versions of the tracks that made it onto the album, along with unreleased remixes by Plotkin himself and co-producer and longtime collaborator Mick Harris. My old friend and collaborator Dave Bellard provided the artwork for the new Demos and Remixes record, along with a series of archival releases from Plotkin's back catalog. Here's a recent conversation between the two artists discussing what was happening with Plotkin's various projects in the mid-1990s and how the joy of disease came to be.
3: So if you look back at, at, at your back catalog chronologically, and it seems to have these individual threads of musical styles. And maybe more precisely, it's musical interests of yours yeah. that connect through these different albums. Now, in the span of two or three years, the music you were producing on formula, that seems to directly lead into The Joy of Disease and, and flock right, Now, is right. it fair to say that those projects led into each other?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, they were pretty much uh, being re- Demoed and just written all around the same time. Um, I probably had maybe three, three and a half albums worth of material, and, you know, just there were a number of uh, tracks that weren't, they're just a little too, uh, they didn't fit in with the rest of them enough, and uh, that's that's eventually the stuff that I used for the uh, Joy of Disease CD that came out on Avant. And, uh, and
3: what and and this was and this would be like ninety would this would be in the early nineties? Uh, it was
0: around ninety five, I think, ninety somewhere between ninety four and ninety six. I think both of the records, or uh, maybe one came out in ninety five and one came out in ninety six. But it was it was definitely those two years uh, where all that stuff was written. I had uh, gotten a budget for the last old record and just spent it all on gear. And, uh, <laughs> just hold away for a while, just, you know, playing and writing and stuff. And, uh, those three records are pretty much a product of the, you know, the same sessions,
3: really. And that's, and that is you, that is you writing, working pretty much solo. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Um, you know, any vocals, like an old, Alan um, took care of all that stuff. And, uh, then And really the the two subsequent records uh, were, uh, you know, the vocals were more sort of an afterthought, I guess. Um, you know, there are a lot of things I'd like to change about those, but uh, I'm not going to go back in time and revise records I've already done. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, what's interesting, though, is, is that what's... Because, I mean, if you look at... if you. Based on what what you what what I see on your Facebook page, Joy of Disease is like the super big fan favorite, and people often say it's their their favorite album. Yeah, that is strange. And, <laughs> and what does well, what does the project signify for you?
0: Uh, you know, just the same thing that pretty much everything that came before it did, which is just you know freedom to do whatever the hell I wanted. I guess it wasn't like um, you know, I was dealing with. A big budget, or, or, you know, seeking any kind of commercial success, I was basically uh, given, you know, the freedom to do whatever I wanted. So, and those tracks being the the sort of outcasts of everything that was done around that time period, um, the fact that people that that's like the sort of the cult release that uh, you know that pleases me. <laughs> um, I'm glad people went for the the sort of orphaned tracks and the stuff that didn't fit in with like the framework of these other records that was you know those records had a not a strict framework but they you know there's a pretty uh, consistent uh, like compositional theme throughout those two records the the old record and the flux record so the, you know the, the fact that the people enjoy the weird stuff the most is uh, you know it's a reaffirming as an artist.
1: The Joy of Disease was released in 1996 on Avant Records, a label specializing in avant-garde jazz and experimental music that was based in Japan, but founded by American composer and saxophonist John Zorn. Watkin 's unconventional approach to music and his disinterest in adhering to genre based boundaries allowed him to make connections well outside of his metal roots.
0: like I said I was uh you know writing and recording a lot of stuff uh, in that in that period of time and um, uh, I guess I ran into John Zorn on the street in New York one day and he asked me what I was up to and I told him I was writing a lot of stuff didn't you know had a couple of um Ideas in mind for uh, using some of the stuff for for a different release, and uh, you know, he. Uh, I was familiar with his avant label through Sony. They put out a, uh, you know, like those um, the Naked City stuff and a bunch of other great records back then. So he asked me if uh, I wanted to release the stuff on that label. So well, you know, of course, it was uh, I was extremely psyched about that. Big fan of his, and you know the stuff that he was involved in. So uh, put together the the sort of outcast tracks from all those sessions, and took them to Mix Studio in, in Birmingham, and we we recorded it over I don't know three four days something like that, just leisurely recording session, and uh, got a couple of friends to be be guests on it. That's pretty non-eventful coming together of a record, you know? I wrote this stuff, and it got recorded eventually.
1: The Joy of Disease was co-produced by Mick Harris. Harris began as a drummer in the 1980s, working with various punk and extreme metal bands, most notably Napalm Death. In the mid-1990s, he switched to primarily dark ambient and electronic music with his project Scorn and Lol, Along with an experimental band called Painkiller, with John Zorn and bassist Bill Laswell, Harrison Plotkin had been friends since their teen years.
3: What was life like, with, like you know, when you were hanging out with Mick Harris? Talk a little <laughs> bit about, about that, like going over and hanging out with Mick Harris, and what were you guys yeah, doing? Yeah, I
0: mean, uh, you know, we had we've spent a lot of time at each other's places since since we were teenagers. I think I first put Mick up when I was like I don't know 16 or 17 so you know we we sort of visit each other from time to time or if he was working in New York he'd uh, crash at my place but um god I think we spent more time in Birmingham uh, buying records than we actually did recording the album so uh you know we were doing a lot of smoking too so you know <laughs> of it's course, yeah, it was you know I think about it these days like, like a vacation, really, because you're just doing what you want to do and having fun, and there's no pressure or anything.
3: So tell me, how do you feel about 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 the about releasing the demos and the remixes from Joy of Disease? It
0: was good. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the tracks that. Um, had vocals on the album or an instrumental form on the demos. And, you know, my girlfriend makes fun of me all the time because I'm one of those guys that says, you know, the demo was much better. Or, you know, the rough mix was a lot better than the final. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, it's... I I stand by that. It's like when you're demoing stuff, you know, it sort of has that fire that gets lost when you have to recreate it. Especially if it's... um, you know, a more music of a more improvisational nature, for sure. But uh, even even compositions, I tend to compose to tape a lot, and you know, just come up with something as you're recording and then develop it on the spot. So something like that, it always loses it loses something when you're when you're recreating it for the you know the quote album.
1: And here's a great example. This is an unused ambient demo of Euphoria Passing from The Joy of Disease, Demos and Remixes by James Plotkin.
3: interesting to think about how you were making ambient music in the 90s right because although you did have access to digital equipment that even that digital equipment is practically analog compared to how you make music today on yeah, laptop
0: true i mean uh, one thing i don't even really know how to do is make ambient guitar music on a computer these days if you know if i would ever do that kind of thing again it would Basically be using guitars and pedals, maybe amps in a certain point in time, I guess the technology did start to shift heavily towards digital technology. you know just like anything else you can you can make something that sounds good with it or you can make garbage, so just you know whatever gear you have, just make the best best sounds that you possibly can.
1: Over the past three decades, the one consistent thread in James Plotkin's musical output is that he does whatever he wants. His experimental and free-form approach to music has kept his work outside of the boundaries of traditional genres, often blending influences to create something new and very fresh.
0: I mean, if you're not looking for a commercial career in music, then, you know, just do whatever the hell you want to do, you know? Don't bother... uh, sticking to you know compositional rules that exist in various genres that's just gonna you know people wanna sometimes fit in a little bit and uh, if they they look up to certain musicians or you know like a certain genre of music or a certain scene of music and they're gonna you know make music it's it's probable that they're gonna try to follow the you know the generic structures of music in that genre or in that scene of music and you know that's basically what purist ideals are in music and something that you know uh, I'm not really interested in sticking to I mean obviously there are you know hundreds of thousands of records out there that have been made with very purist mindset that are amazing and that you know that I'm a fan of but uh that's, that's not the way I would, would make music or you know the way I would expect anybody to make music uh, some of the best stuff happens is when you step out of, out of the comfort zone so like I said it's probably the best way to be creative is to not worry about what you should and shouldn't be doing in music
1: You can find out more about James Plotkin online at his website, PlotkinWorks.com. His catalog is available on various digital platforms across the internet, but if you want to check out his archival releases, including The Joy of Disease, Demos and Remixes, visit his Bandcamp page at jamesplotkin.bandcamp.com. Links are in the show post. Like I'm going, who's this guy?
2: Alternate uses for my father's record collection. Alternate uses for my father's record collection. Stage one. Use them for pucks when Twin Pond freezes over. Take Bad Brains to the Westview High Halloween party, snort Pixie Sticks off it, and when people ask who the fuck I'm supposed to be, say, my father dying. Get them hot and try shaping them into hockey helmets. Leave them to warp on the sagging back balcony with the Folgers can ashtrays and empty shells bottles. Strap them to my feet like snowshoes to get around Duluth this winter, since he can't drive me. Give back mom's John Denver album that he took out of spite when they split.
4: Stage two. Burn the records at Dom's backyard bonfire so no one thinks I listen to garbage crybaby screamo punk bullshit. Frisbee them at the guys who made the hockey team over me. Paint pentagrams on them with mom's red nail polish and leave one in every player's locker. Calculate the total amount of money that could have been used on groceries, braces, Christmas presents instead, then pile them on top of his grave. Freeze them, break them, use the shards to stab holes in the upholstery of his dodge van with a teardrop window. Frisbee them at his pitbull jello until he learns to catch or just runs away. Frisbee them at his band members when they come to get their amps out of his mildewed basement. Frisbee them one by one at my sister as she steps off the school bus to remind her to always be on her toes, that life can throw anything at you and will.
2: Stage three, don't touch the records they're possessed. Mail every single one back to the band who made it, including a note to the Dead Kennedys that says, please never make another. Give them to his girlfriend, Sheila, if she promises never to speak to me again. Scrape up roadkill squirrels for good karma, sell them at Electric Fetus, give the money to mom, ask her to take one day off. Try to sell them piecemeal to the dirty kids at school in exchange for rides. Slide 50 of them onto each end of a bell bar, start training for next season.
4: Stage four. Stack 10 records together, hold them in front of my face, watch the world through a small hole. Line the windows with them to keep the light out. Line the windows with them to keep the cold out. Listen with the volume so loud I go deaf and never have to hear music again. Dig three feet down at his grave and plant them there so he can listen in the afterlife. Frisbee them at the twilight during a meteor shower and call Northland's news center to report sightings of alien spacecraft. Listen to them with the speakers unplugged to hear the needle scratch sound like when his five o'clock shadow brushed my forehead, kissing me goodnight every night until I was seven and he left for the cities. Thread a chain through one and wear it like a necklace. Attach them to the bottom of my sled and bomb down Rock Hill so fast time changes direction.
2: Stage five, collage the basement walls with all the album jackets. Convert them to MP3s through Dom's turntable, take sound clips, mix house beats on his laptop. Preserve them in dust jackets stacked vertically at 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Or maybe just listen, try to figure out what he heard.
1: Alternate uses for my father's record collection was written by Tyler Barton. It was narrated by him and Aaron Dorney. You can find Tyler online at tsbarton.com and Aaron at aarondorney.com. Links in the show post. This is Jason Mundock. Thanks for listening to Erase the Filter. Show notes can be found at erasethefilter.com and if you have feedback about the show, feel free to email me at jmundock, j-m-u-n-d-o-k, at gmail.com and always remember open your mind be yourself erase the filter